You're listening to the Covenant Original Series, We. In today's teaching, we'll be examining if the church has settled for the table scraps of influence in our society instead of leading and shaping the culture around it. What can we learn from the early church and how to define, take back, and lead the way in culture? Hey, welcome to week one of this new series, We. We're talking about the fact that God wants to use us God wants to work through us, not just as individuals, but as a church collectively. I'm really excited about this sermon today. I'm going to start off in the book of Matthew. And I ask if you would just to to listen to these words. These are the words of of Jesus. And it's really going to set the tone and be the foundation for everything we're going to talk about. And I also just want to say this, just by way of trying to be as open as possible, um, it's, it's always interesting to, to preach and to, to, as Pastor Seth said, to divide God's word rightly. It's always interesting. And there's just some days when you feel like you just don't want to get in the way of what God has to say. Do you know what I'm talking about? And, uh, and today is definitely one of those days. I, I really truly mean this when I say that I feel like God has really something important to teach us today. And so we're going to pray in just a moment, but I would pray that as we pray, that maybe you could even pray for me, because I want to make sure that I don't get in the way of what God has to tell you today, okay? And so let's just begin. In Matthew chapter 16, we read this, starting verse 13, says this, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And Jesus said, okay, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, which by the way, if you know Simon, that's not shocking that he is the first one who spoke up. Simon said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him saying, blessed are you, Simon. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Would you pray with me today? Father, We come before you today asking for your wisdom, thanking you for the unity that you've given to us as a church. And out of the desire to be united under the banner of Jesus Christ, out of the desire to to see much made of Jesus Christ, I ask for your Holy Spirit to move to convict us, to push us, for those who are far away, to woo us close to you. I pray that you would eliminate distraction, be it in this service or outside, the things that we walked in with, the financial trouble, the, the anxiety, the relationships, whatever it might be, God, I pray that your spirit and your word would quiet our hearts and quiet our minds 
so that we are able to receive that which you have for us today. We wait and we listen for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I love this passage for a number of reasons, Matthew 16. And I love specifically the interaction that Jesus has. He's having it with all of his disciples, but he begins to have it with Peter alone. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? I I know other people say that I'm this prophet or I'm John the Baptist or I'm whoever, but who do you say that I am? Peter jumps in real quick and says, you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. You are the, the Messiah. And Jesus says this very interesting thing to him. He says, I tell you, uh, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, why this is so interesting is because a correct theological, hermeneutical understanding of this passage will show that Jesus is actually talking about the significance of us recognizing him as the center of our church. Okay? This is massive. And and the reason this is so important is because it properly shapes theology. And you say, well, why is that important? I would say this. It's the difference between what we believe theologically and say what a Catholic would believe theologically. Okay? Right here found in this verse. Because Catholic theology, I'm not here today to preach against Catholic theology, um, but, but I do think it's important to understand theologically why we believe what we believe and why church itself is built on Christ. It's because if we get this passage wrong, we get everything else wrong. In other words, if we build the church on anyone else but Christ, we actually lose what Christ desired the church to be. Okay? This is huge. Because you could read this passage and think that Jesus is telling Simon, hey, Peter, you got it right, and on you, I will build my church. But that's not what he's saying. Jesus says, you're right that you recognized I am Jesus, and on me, I will build my church. Do you see the difference? It's a big difference. It's the difference between a theology that says... Everything is always and only about Jesus and the theology that says, yes, Jesus is important, but he's building it with men at the center. And the difference is excruciatingly, is excruciatingly far apart. I mean, it is, it is just, it is theologically uh, on one side and the other. It's not about man, it's about a God-man. Jesus Christ. And so we have to start with this foundational principle. My question for us today, and if you're taking notes, which I would challenge you to do, because we're a church that worships in spirit and in truth. We take these truths that God gives us from his word. We take them to our small groups, sea life groups, because Sunday is just the start. I mean, if you don't get that, if you don't get that yet, that Sunday is just the start for your church experience here, like I don't know what else to say. Because true discipleship and leadership and friendship is found inside of our small groups. That's where you're going to get to talk through this stuff. If you don't agree with me, that's even better because you get to go and discuss it in your small groups and hash it out, and that's where you're going to grow. I would really, really challenge you to get involved in a Sea Life group throughout the week. We have many of them. Grab a magazine. Here's the first question that I have for you. Here's the question. 
What is it about declaring Jesus as the Son of God that gives a church power over the gates of hell? Because that's what Jesus is saying here. There's something about Jesus Christ and the understanding of one or when one has that Jesus is the Christ in a church, there's something about there's something special about a church recognizing Jesus at the center that gives said church power over the gates of hell. Do, do we recognize that? Yes? Is that exciting to us in the least? Because a lot of times we we come to church and then we just leave church and we think that we've done church. But that's not what church is. It is a we experience. It is something that is filled with power, with Jesus Christ at the center. Once again, what is, what is it about declaring that Jesus is the Son of God that gives a church power over the gates of hell? Well, Jesus tells us in John 12, 32, that when we lift him up, he will draw all men to himself. Did you get that? Why is it significant that we keep Christ at the center? It's because this church, when we lift Jesus up, he and he alone draws all men to himself. Now, I'm going to push this point through. This is really the only point I have today. So, sorry, like bust the bubble so quick. This is it. This is it. And I think this is the most important. If we get this point today, God will use this church in ways that will blow your mind. If we get this single point today, you say, what point is that? Keep Jesus at the center. It's all about Jesus. It's not about us. It's only about Jesus. Point number one is this. A church that moves in God's power is a church that puts Jesus in the center. Okay, nothing like crazy there. The opposite, a church that moves in its own power is a church that puts Jesus on the side. A church that moves in God's power is a church that puts Jesus at the center. A church that moves in their own power is a church that puts Jesus on the side. A church is at her most powerful when she is making much of Christ. You say, what is it that revolves around Christ? Everything. Every song that we sing, every greeting that, every hand that we shake, every greeting that we give, the way that we worship, the way that we take notes, the way that we engage, the reason that we go and, and go do a Meals on Wheels or serve at Stowe or help the needy or partner with single mothers, the, the, any, anything that we do, it all should be a reflection of Jesus, the way that we train our children in our children's ministry, the songs that they sing, the lessons they learn, the verses they memorize, the way they talk, the way that we engage, every single thing should be in the vein of Jesus Christ, to make much of Jesus Christ. Everything, everything that we do, it is of utmost importance because knowing Jesus is what changes a man, not knowing better principles. Knowing Jesus is what changes a marriage, not just knowing better steps to take. Knowing Jesus is what changes an addiction, not just sitting and talking. What I'm telling you is the only thing that truly has the power to save and change this world, your life, everything is Jesus Christ, which is why Jesus says the church that gets this is going to be able to withstand and overpower the gates of hell because when I am lifted up, I draw everyone to myself. You get that? That's why this is so significant. So significant. 
Everything else is behavior modification. Everything. Everything else is behavior modification. Even your habit stacking and habit building, which is so important. Don't get me wrong. We're going to be talking about that in a couple months where we talk about habits and how to form them and how to break, break bad habits. But I'm even telling you, beyond that, Jesus Christ is not into behavior modification. He is into soul transformation. And when a church loses the spirit of Jesus Christ, the church loses its own soul. You say, that's a little strong. It is. But that doesn't mean it's not true. In fact, Jesus, in his own words in Revelation chapter 3, sorry if like, this is your first time here. You're like, where am I? What is going on? Sorry, we're just kind of going into it today. Revelation chapter 3 says this. I know your works. You're not hot. You're not cold. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Now, you might say, that's a little strong. It is and it isn't, right? Because how many of us have gotten into our car before and we have our cup of coffee that when we left the car was hot and we got into the car, but it's not cold and you take a drink and it's kind of in the middle, which makes it disgusting. I'm all about hot coffee. In fact, I like iced coffee too. What I don't like is right in the middle. There's this like disgusting zone. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's gross. And Jesus Christ looking at his church says, I wish you were hot or I wish you were cold because you're neither you make me sick. Understand, this is Jesus. This is Jesus in who chapter five of Ephesians says that he loves the church like his own bride. He laid his life down for her, and yet he's telling the one that he laid his life down for that he loves more than anything else, that, that she makes him sick, that she makes him want to vomit. These are strong words from Jesus. Why does he say this? He says, because you say that you're rich, that you prospered, that you don't need anything, not realizing that you aren't. You're wretched, you're pitiful, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may actually be rich. White garments so that you may actually clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those who I love, I reprove and I discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will, I will grant him to sit with me on the throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on, the, on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. I talk about this a lot. We, we have... I talk about this oil painting that I saw when I was young, right? Jesus holding a little lantern, standing on a, standing like out on a path. And of course, Jesus, by the way, was, looked like the lead singer from Creed. And he was standing, Scott Stapp, and he was uh, standing. I just realized that most of you probably don't even understand that reference because they're not a, a good, they were never good, but you get my point. Um, <laughs> Yeah, anyway, uh, so Jesus, who's a very white male in this picture, is standing outside of a door knocking, and I always interpreted that to be, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and anybody who answers, I'll come in and eat with him. I was always like, yeah, those are like unsaved people, and Jesus going around like doing some knocking on the doors, and Jesus is knocking on the door of his own church, saying, let me in. Hey, this, this is like my house. Can I come in? And we're just rejecting him. See, this is a church that has lost the spirit of Jesus. They have no need. They are okay. They are satisfied with stuff instead of with Jesus. Most likely, this church believed that they were doing a good job. 
Now you tell me, how is it that a church can be thinking they're doing a good job, and yet that same church is making Jesus want to throw up? The answer is that I believe we've actually changed the metric of success, of what church is supposed to be and how it's supposed to function completely. It's happened over time. It's happened slowly over time, but it has so solidified itself in our churches and in our culture and our society that many of us don't even realize it. We don't even recognize it. And it takes a strong passage like Revelation to bring us back to center. I want to share this other passage. You know, I I work on my sermons and and I write them a good deal ahead of time so that You know, we have parallel series with our kids so that what we're learning today, our children are learning as well in a kidified version. We have graphics and videos that must be made. So I I try to write our sermons, uh, my sermons, months in advance, and and then I get a week ahead and I start kind of walking through it and and, and relearning and and, and making sure that it's fresh bread and not kind of stale Krispy Kremes, which are no good either. And um, I want to make sure it's good and good and warm. And I was having a conversation with one of my closest friends who's a pastor. His name's Mark. He's a pastor at Movement Church up in Hilliard. Don't go there. Stay here. And, um, and he said, man, I ran across this verse. You got to check this out. And it led to this gigantic conversation. I want to read it to you. And it's, and it's Amos chapter 5. This is a real book of the Bible. Amos is a prophet. and He's also a farmer. And uh, it's funny how God seems to use farmers a lot. But uh, throughout scripture, he just really does. And, uh, and I don't normally, I would never normally preach out of like the message, that's a paraphrased version of scripture, but I do read a lot out of the message. I study and teach out of the ESV, but I read a lot out of the message. I just kind of try to read a lot uh, through scripture. And I want you to listen to this passage. This is God speaking to his people. Listen to these words. This is God now speaking to his people. He says this, I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and your conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and your goals. I'm so sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take with your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? You know what I want? I want justice. Oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. So I read through that passage this week, and it has just spurred on so many conversations. And the question has to be, have we changed the metric of success? I want, and I believe that you want, I believe collectively we want a church that moves in God's power. But if we want to be a church that moves in God's power, then we have to be a church that gauges success by holiness and not happiness. If we want to be a church that moves in power, this is the second point here for you, we have to be a church that measures success by holiness not a church that gauges success by happiness. First Peter 1, 15 says this, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Church, has God not called us to be holy? 
Holiness is difficult because it, remi- it reminds us that we are supposed to be something we are not. It is something that we strive for. It is something that we work towards. There's this amazing thing that happens when you meet Jesus. He begins to reveal just how bad you are. <laughs> and it's true. Like we have this, we have kind of a backwards understanding. I was talking to my son, uh, Noah, on the way to church this morning. And, and we have kind of this backwards understanding of, 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 of Jesus, you know, like maybe the understanding is when we, when we come to Jesus, now everything's good. Now all of a sudden we're going to get all these jobs that are going to start dropping some major money in our account. Every sickness is healed, every merit, you know, the, we just have this view. Not to say that God is not all powerful and doesn't do that, but most likely you know that you've had a true encounter with Jesus Christ when you come to Jesus Christ and then you begin seeing all the things that are wrong with you. Why? That's the Holy Spirit's conviction. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you to repent. What I'm I'm trying to say is, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Don't run from those things. Because it's God calling us to holiness. It's God calling us to live differently. It's God calling us to be righteous. Let me ask you a question. That's a process called sanctification where which daily we become more and more like Jesus. Is sanct- Listen, Christian, is sanctification happening in your life? Don't give me excuses. Don't use the fact that you are married to a guy who is a horrible husband as an excuse to you in your lack of sanctification. Don't do it. Don't give me the excuse of your finances. Well, if I had more money, I could probably be more sanctified. Don't do it. And don't you dare use your schedule as a lack for your, for your, uh, for your sanctification. Don't do it. You becoming more and more like Jesus Christ is of utmost importance. Do you understand me? The church's holiness is made up collectively by independent men and women coming together saying, I need Jesus Christ to make me better because I'm no good. That's what a church is. And yet we've turned church into a place where we show up, make sure our teeth are brushed. We don't do it any other time during the week, but we do it on Sunday. We make sure our hair's comb, we make sure we smell good, we look good, we fight all the way to church, then we get out holding hands with our kids and our wife. That's not real. That's not real. And so God says, I'm tired of that noise. I don't, I don't want that. I'm not going to accept your sacrifice. I'm not going to hear your worship. I'm not going to take your money. I'm not going to bless you. In fact, I'm not even going to be there. So we end up faking church And Jesus isn't even there. When we gauge our holiness by Jesus, we're going to feel challenged. That's the truth, isn't it? When we gauge our holiness by Jesus, we're going to feel challenged. When we gauge our holiness by the culture, we're going to feel accomplished. Is that a description of where we are as a church? It's it's kind of like when you talk to somebody, uh, you're sharing the gospel, and you're like, let me ask you a question. Would you consider yourself a good person? And then their scale of what good and bad is is funny. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because they'll always say, like, well, I think I'm a good people and a good person. I'll say, why? And, well, I mean, I've never killed anybody. That's always like the scale of whether like we're a good person. I've never killed anybody, you know? I've never taken hostages, so I'm a pretty good person. It's funny. When we compare ourselves to the holiness of Jesus, we are left in the dirt. 
But when we compare ourselves to the holiness of culture, we feel good. We feel accomplished. We feel worthy. Which is why do we which is why we don't compare ourselves to the world. We compare ourselves to Jesus. Which is why sanctification means we're trying to become more like him. Don't try to become more like your pastor. Don't try to become more like me. Don't try and become more like Billy Graham. Don't, don't try and become more like some other megachurch pastor. Don't try and become, try to become like Jesus. That's who you need to become. Don't put anybody else on a pedestal. Don't compare your holiness to anybody else's holiness. Apart from Jesus Christ, a picture of true holiness in a church that is filled with holy people is a picture that we are missing. I know it sounds so epic and so huge and so old school, but holiness is what we're after. And if we as a church become a holy people, that keep Christ at the center, this will be a church that moves and power. Now, I'm concerned because when I say that, that God will use this church, I'm concerned that you hear me say there's going to be 25,000 people that show up. But didn't we just learn that that's not necessarily the case? Last week, didn't we just talk about that? Didn't we just talk about that size doesn't necessarily mean that God is showing up and moving? Didn't we just talk about that? Because once again, if you give me enough money, give me enough people, I can fake a movement of God. I could trick you. I could fake you out. I could think that you were in the middle of a move of God if you give me enough money. You're like, how? Well, I could pay people to come and fill up these chairs. And you could walk in and say, wow, God's doing something. Nope, just got a lot of money. It's interesting. You know, one of the, what are the, my biggest concerns? I'm just going to be this is as honest as I can be. One of my biggest concerns, you know, we're in this building thing. We're about to close on this piece of property. It's so exciting. We're going to build this building, God willing. It's exciting. But in the back of my mind, it's also so scary for me. Not because we're talking about a lot of money, but because up to this point, we've been portable. And we didn't have a building to get into to just sit back and relax on. And something happens when you get into a building. You just grow. You do. Statistically, you grow like somewhere around 25, 35%, like the first month that you open a building. That's scary to me. Like, that should be great for you. We got the seats packed. I just, what does it matter if our chairs and our seats are filled, but we are not a holy people? Okay? We have to understand that. We have to change the metric. The metric of success is not happiness. It is holiness. I don't know that Jesus is as concerned with whether you liked every lyric of the song we sang or the way the slides looked or like the ambiance or the lighting. I don't think Jesus cares about your, 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 your complaining. What he cares about is your heart and your holiness. Let me ask you, Christian, have you shared your faith? In the last year with anybody? If the answer is no, that's a concern. Don't let excuses jump in. It's a concern. You should be concerned. Are you navigating your schedule and calendar in a way that leads your, your children closer to Christ or farther away? Don't give me an excuse. If it's not closer to Christ, that's a concern. 
Are you praying with your wife? Are you praying with your husband? Are you opening scripture in your home? See, these are the things we don't want to talk about because they're real. And we can't deny them. Well, you know, I want to read, but I'm just so busy. Okay. Well, you know, I want to get there, but I just go about once a year. Okay. Well, you know, I want to talk with my wife, but she's so mean. All right. I want to leave my kids, but they're 16 and crazy. You made them that way, but okay. See, when you start talking about success as gauged from the metric of holiness, it gets real, real quick, which is why God can just show up and say things like, I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religious projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising, your public relations and image making. I can't stand or take your noisy music. When was the last time you just sang to me? In other words, God is saying, when is the last time your church was about me? When? And because it's not, I'm not going to show up. Go ahead. Go do your thing. Go have your religious social club. Have a good time. I'm not going to be there. Point three, a church that moves in God's power is a church that empowers its people to move. A church that moves in its own power is a church that empower, empowers people to watch. That's it. First Peter 2, 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being up as a spiritual house. Can I just pause? This passage is about you. This passage is about me. We should listen to this passage and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal who we are. Okay? As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I'm lying, laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. That's Jesus. And whoever believes in Jesus will not put, be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. What does that mean? It means that Jesus showed up as the Messiah his own people rejected him, crucify him, put him to death. And yet Jesus rose again to offer salvation, the cornerstone. So the stone that was rejected actually became the foundation for us to know God. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, speaking with us now, but listen, church, you are a chosen race, you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is us. We're a bunch of Gentiles. What's that? People who aren't Jews. This is us. Once you're not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you did not receive mercy, but now you receive it. Behold, I urge you as sojourners, travelers, and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh with which war we wage war against our soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. That's all of us. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 
Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it is to be to the emperor as supreme or to the governor as is sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put silence to the ignorance of foolish people. Please, can you just post that on your Facebook newsfeed? You do not have to be the moral evangelist for everybody's Facebook page. You don't have to get into fights with people in social media that don't know Jesus. You don't have to. Listen, we end up looking like fools when we do that. You are arguing on a basis of morality that they do not hold. You are calling people who do not know Jesus to think like they, you are calling people who do not know Jesus to act like they know Jesus. The better word, now this is tight. Listen, this is walking a line and it's razor thin, so don't misunderstand me. The better thing to do is to embody Jesus Christ through your holiness. In other words, it shouldn't be your words that make the difference in the world. It should be your holiness, your walk, the way you live, your authenticity, your integrity. Let your life speak louder than your words. When we do that, the church will become what Jesus called it to be, a place that stands, works, moves, in the power of Jesus Christ, a place that will actually conquer the gates of hell. Listen, I don't need, Jesus doesn't need, we don't need your good words. We don't need them. God will bypass intelligent, well-spoken people and use farmers from Scripture He would jump over you and use simple, obedient people. This is oftentimes why you see somebody who is so far from Jesus, meet Jesus, and then God raises them up and leads people to Christ so quickly. And yet we have veteran Christians who have sat in the pews for years, never even shared their faith. Any stone can just roll in and plop down for an hour takes a living stone to roll out of here and make an impact. We are alive. Live like you're alive. Work like you're alive. Worship like you're alive. That's a sermon by itself. Serve like you're alive. Build his church like you're alive. Love people like you're alive. Look like you're alive. Sound like you're alive. Read scripture like you're alive. Has Jesus not died for us? Has he not conquered the grave for us? I love, by the way, I gotta close, I'm running out of time. I love, by the way, thinking about Jesus and the moment that he died. That sounds weird, but really it's like the moment after he died, like the moment right after, after he takes his last breath. He says, Father, you know, into your hands I commit my soul. Exhales, like that moment right after, ah, I hope when I get to heaven, we'll like have like slow motion replay because I want to go back to that moment and I want to see from that moment to when he rose again, like the look on the enemy's face. I just, I just want to see that look of horror. You know what I mean? Because that is sheer defeat when Christ died and then rose again. That moment when he came back from the grave, Let me ask you, that moment, was it not important for you? Come on, church. 
Is that not a significant moment for you in your life? Does that not have very real eternal implications as a Gentile and not a Jew? That has eternal implications. Why? It's because of that moment that we can know God. It's a part of that. You want to be real? Let's be real. It's because of that moment that I'm not going to die and go to hell for eternity. That's why. It's because of that moment that I can share Jesus with my sons and my daughter. It's because that's the only reason. Had it not been for Jesus, I could not do that. How can we not live alive? How can we not? How can we worship and sing songs and just stand there? How can we not tell people who are lost and dying and destined for hell that there is hope in Jesus? Do you have any good reason? I don't. Your schedule, your money, your relationships, your pride, your fear, your ego, none of them stand. Change the metric of success. It's the holiness. It's the holiness. Each and every one of us are called to. I'm going to leave you with this. Amos chapter 5. I can't stand your religious meetings. I am fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religious projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I am sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all that I can take of your noisy ego music. Listen to the pain in the in God's voice as he said this, as he says this. When? When was the last time you just sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice. Oceans of it. I want fairness. Rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. Thanks for listening to this message from Covenant Church. For more information on our ministries or to hear more messages just like this, visit us at covenantchurch.us.